Let's open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. As I mentioned last week, uh, for some time, I'm going to suspend my verse-by-verse going through Matthew and just kind of share with you some messages that are just things that come from my own Bible reading and my own study and my own, uh, on my own heart. And uh, every now and then, I guess I do that. Thank you for granting me the liberty to do so. I feel like the Lord kind of wants me to. And um, I'll also point out that as far as any, like, Christmas-related content in the preaching, that'll happen tonight and then next Sunday and then the Sunday morning, or the Tuesday morning, Christmas morning itself when we're here. But this is a message that uh, came to me honestly that... Not came to me like there's some mystical way the Lord delivered it to me, but just just like something I've been thinking about a lot. It 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 kind of piggybacks on to the Thursday night study of the Book of Jonah that we've been doing, and um, I'm just very impressed. We all we all know the some of the more familiar parts of Jonah's story. We know about the fish, you know. And, and we swallowing him up, and, and we know about uh, Jonah not wanting to go to preach to Nineveh because he really wanted the Ninevites to be judged by God. And then when he does preach to them and, and they repent, Jonah is actually very angry. And we know those aspects to the story, and it's just been impressed upon my heart as we've been reading it that sometimes what gets lost in that is how much of Jonah there probably is in every one of us. There are times that we just, like Jonah, we don't always understand what God is doing. I listened to different uh, commentaries and read different things about Jonah. And I read everything from like he was just... One thing I listened to said that Jonah was like mean, you know, because he wouldn't go and like, you know, preach to these people and another thing. And they're all fair. I'm not criticizing any of these these opinions because that's what they are. They're opinions and anyone's opinion is as good as mine. Um, But but and and they try to get inside Jonah's mind, you know, and I don't. I see Jonah as someone who. Uh, he loved God and he was a prophet of God. And when God told him to go and preach to those people in Nineveh, he knew how much he and his people had suffered under the hands of the Assyrians. And Jonah knew God. Jonah loved God And uh, Jonah knew that God would be merciful to them. And it's not just that Jonah hated the Ninevites, though I think some of that might be true. It's that Jonah just could not figure out why would God do this, you know? And of course the answer is what? God is sovereign, man, and God knows everything, and God knows what he's doing, and if If God wants to show mercy to a city full of reprobate people, where, as it says, there's over 100,000, 120,000 of them who can't even tell their right hand from their left or whatever that verse says in the end. I'm preaching about it this Thursday night. I should have that memorized by now. But there's like, you know, there's a whole bunch of little, little tiny kids, much younger than the ones who sang up here. If God wants to not destroy them and show mercy to them, God can do that, you know? But what is it? What is it for a believer to do? It's for a believer to trust. It's for a believer to hang in there and trust and be faithful. It's for a believer to draw upon some of the promises of God. And that's what led me to Philippians chapter 1. And uh this verse in verse 6 that speaks famously of God having begun a good work in you 
will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And uh, I just, as I began to study through the context of that passage and the context of the entire book of Philippians, I thought to myself, this might be the subject for a really good study in the beginning of the, of the book of Philippians here. And indeed it is, because the context of this passage goes beyond just talking about God being faithful to individuals to stick with them. I mean, that was the dominant theme that brought me to this chapter, was God's faithfulness to us. And I'm overwhelmed by God's faithfulness to us. But really what comes out of this passage in an overall sense, even more than that, is what a really healthy fellowship of Christians looks like. The Philippian church receives one of the real gems of New Testament literature. This letter is filled with joy. It's filled with encouragement. It's filled with just mutual rejoicing over what God is doing. And the circumstances under which it's written maybe aren't the greatest. The Apostle Paul, who wrote it, was a Roman prisoner at the time. You know, you read about what happened in Philippi first in Acts chapter 16, and even just getting the ministry started was no picnic. You know, he goes, Paul goes to Philippi with Silas, and, you know, uh, he goes down by the river and he meets Lydia, you know, the story, and he preaches to them, and some of them get saved, and a church kind of springs up in her home, and, and then what happens is they end up, Paul and Silas, being thrown into jail in Philippi. And that's, that's where you get the famous story of Paul and Silas at midnight after they've been beaten and they have open wounds on their back. They're singing hymns and they're praising God, right? And then, you know, uh, you just sang a hymn that talked about the chains falling off and your heart being free. That's where it's drawn from is Acts chapter 16. And, and, and the... Uh, you have the, um, the whole point is that uh, 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 the Philippian church gets started. Paul ends up moving on because of the great persecution, but the church survives. And then you fast forward some time, and Paul finds himself, you know, arrested and taken to Rome and in a Roman prison. And apparently this Philippian church had grown to the point where they had become very strong, very mature. They loved the ministry of the gospel. They supported the Apostle Paul financially and in every other way that they, they, could, they possibly could. And so Paul writes them this letter. And this letter is, is, is mostly just a general letter. He's not like in some of the other letters addressing some great problem that's going on or something like that. He's writing this letter just to tell them how much he loves them. And he writes this letter just to tell them how much he wants to share joy with them and how much he wants to continue in the work of the ministry with them. They're not a perfect church, like no church is. You know, in, in chapter 2, uh, he has to tell them, you know, do everything without complaining and without disputing. You wouldn't expect this is the church that would receive that admonishment, but, but it is. In chapter 3, he tells them to beware of uh, uh, the, those of the circumcision you know, those who would come and, and try to add the works of the law to the, the preaching of the gospel of grace. In chapter 4, he actually has to write and personally names two people, Euodia and Syntyche, and, and they're women. And they're women who are apparently prominent in the work of the ministry, but they don't see eye to eye on things. It's very, it's very human stuff. And he has to write to them and say, I implore you that these two would like be of one mind with one another. So, so there's, there's, it's not that the church is perfect. You know, the church has its issues. It has its issues with doctrinal challenges. You know, the circumcision people coming in. It has its personal issues between people having a little of this going on every now and then. And, you know, he needs to tell them, you know, when you work, you labor, don't complain. Just, just, just be faithful and everything else. So he has to give them some admonishments. But overall, the message of Philippians is one that is one of great joy and one of just great mutual fellowship. In the opening of this book, we get this gem of words that says that God is faithful to complete the good work that he's begun in us. And what that occurs in the middle of is a passage of Scripture, verses 1 through 11, which describe a healthy Christian fellowship. Healthy church life. 
Not in every nuance. You can't describe everything that there is about, needs to be said about church in 11 verses. But these verses are very powerful and wonderful indeed. Let us say a prayer together. And now that you've borne with me as I've collected myself, I apologize for that. Let's pray and let's have, uh, let's have at it with God's word this morning. Let us pray, brethren. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord God, for this time that we have together here this morning. I thank you for your word. I pray, Lord God, that you would help me to deliver it. I pray that you'd help all of us to listen to it, give our attention to it, to respect it, to receive it, to believe it, to act on it. If someone's come in today, Lord, and they need Christ, above all things, Lord God, I pray that someone might get saved today from hearing the word of the gospel, even though I know that this passage of Scripture is directed really straight at people who are saved already. But through it, I pray that someone who needs to be saved would get saved and someone who is saved would just understand their salvation and walk in a little bit better. That's what we ask for all of us, Lord. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Okay. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Well, the letter starts by identifying... Paul and Timothy. We don't know that Timothy was necessarily a prisoner himself, but, but Paul was, and you can see in the end of the letter, if you peeked all the way to the end, he, he actually says to them, those who are of Caesar's household greet you, which gives you some indication as to where his imprisonment was uh, in Rome and very close to the, to the emperor himself. But uh, Paul and Timothy, Timothy was like Paul's son in the faith, and they identify themselves as bond servants of Jesus Christ. And I know from the recent John MacArthur book that I, I read uh, points out very plainly that that word bond servant, the Greek word, I'm not a Greek scholar, but he is, and uh, you know the Greek word doulos means slave, and he points out to himself that he's a slave of Jesus Christ, and it didn't matter whether he was out on the mission field or he was in prison, he still considered himself Christ's slave. He started off with the right attitude. Then, then you see in the, in the second part of the first verse who he's writing to. And he's writing to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. right? And uh, what, there's that word saint that comes up every now and then in the New Testament. And if you've been around here any length of time, you're aware of this, but... You know, that's a, com- that's a concept, sainthood, that has a lot of uh, sort of religious tradition that's built up around it that is way more complicated than anything the Bible presents. 
Um, a saint was never intended to be what it's considered, I think, in the Roman Catholic tradition. I'm not going to go into all of that today, other than to point out to you that when Paul writes to the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, he's talking to the believers in the church. That's all. That's all. Saint just means sanctified, set apart. So he's writing, it's just a way to describe a Christian. They've been sanctified. They've been set apart by God's power, by God's grace, by the fact that they believe the gospel, by God's salvation, they've been set apart. Uh, to the saints who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. And it's, it's very interesting, those two words. The word bishop, uh, again, not a Greek scholar here, but I've read about it enough to know that the Greek word episkopos uh, basically means overseer. And, and, and it's interesting because virtually every translation of the Bible that I looked at uh, uses the word bishop there, and every one of them has a little note that says, literally, overseer, right? So why none of the translators just use the word overseer? That's way over my head and, and beyond me. But then the word deacon, uh, the word deacon basically means servant, right? And so what he's talking about here is something that you have in every church. You have people who oversee things and you have servants, right? And now the thing that I think is interesting that you point out, though, is that he wrote to all of the saints and yet the bishops and deacons are set apart from that, right? So you have everyone, listen, whether you're in like an office in a church or not, Every, there, are, there are people within the church that have oversight of this or oversight of that. You know, when the kids came up here and sang, Amy oversaw that whole thing, right? So, uh, so there's, like, there's, there's, there's oversight at that level that's constantly like going on in various forms. When the kitchen gets set up for the dinner tonight, April's going to be overseeing that, right? And, uh, and various things that you see going on. And also the concept of deacon is one of servant. And throughout... The, the church, there are always people that are serving, right? But then you see here, so all of the saints, to some extent, carry on the tasks of oversight and service. But the way that it's written here, to all the saints in Christ Jesus with the bishops and deacons, he sets apart those who have been, by God, set apart for those specific roles. And if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, you can see that Paul, ironically, Paul and Timothy here together, Paul writes a letter to Timothy and spells out some of the personal qualifications for those who are called to those situations. But I'm not going to go through all of that today. Um, then you get to verse 2, and you get to the familiar greeting here. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a very powerful greeting. It's very common in Pauline literature and we might be inclined to just sort of look over it, but we shouldn't. We should stop and meditate on it every time that we read it. Because what it is, it's, it's a wish. He's, it's a greeting where he's wishing something for them. In other words, when he says grace to you and peace, look, he could simply just say grace and peace, and it could just be like a personal greeting, right? Like, like I wish for grace for you, I wish for peace for you. But no, he adds on to it specifically, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, which, number one, is a very powerful linking of the Father and Son together as one, right? Because the Father is God and the Son is God and the two of them are one, along with the Holy Spirit, the three of them are one. So you see a tremendous affirmation of the Godhead in the way that he writes that. But when he says grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, he's starting the letter off by wishing upon his readers that those two attributes would be, have been received, would be understood, and would be abounded in by those who are in this church. He wishes for the people in this church to know and cherish and love and just abound in God's grace in everything in their life, in every gift that is the gift of his grace, in the sustaining strength that is from his grace, in the spiritual gifts that are given for the ministry in the church. That's all the gift of God's grace. And he wants God's grace to abound in all of us, the Lord does. wants his own grace to abound in us. And then, of course, one of the characteristics that goes along with having a relationship with God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is that we have great peace in our hearts. 
We've been brought to peace with God. And so know that. Even though some of the letters that are written in the New Testament are written to confront things that are hard, and even though in the life of a church and in the life of Christians, there are times and there are moments when things that are hard need to be confronted and things need to be resolved, as even happens in this church we're reading about here, as even happens in our own church from time to time and happens in every church, please know that at the core, please hear this, at the core, at the foundation of Christianity is that God wants us to abound in his grace and abound in his peace. Not just in grace that men show to one another and not just in peace that is enjoyed among one another, although those are all part of it and those are all very good, but grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul comes to them and wishes upon them God's grace and God's peace. And so know that while Christianity has the walk that is Christianity in this life has its difficult turns and its difficult seasons and its trials that we all must endure. Know that the thing that can sustain us and carry us through it is abounding and glorying in and being thankful for God's grace and God's peace, which he gives abundantly and freely as his gift through Jesus Christ, his son. Amen, Christians? Grace. Grace. Peace. Peace. Grace that sustains us when we battle with our own flesh. Grace that sustains us when we wonder what is God doing. Grace that sustains us when we wonder how could God even have someone like me to be his child. Grace that sustains us when we're struggling and we're battling. Peace that later in this very letter is described as a peace that surpasses all understanding. God wishes for you to abound in that and to rest in that. It's one of the great benefits of our faith in him that we experience right here and right now. Listen, we're longing for heaven. We're longing for salvation. We're longing to see him as he is. We're longing to throw off mortality and put on immortality. But right now, right now, day by day, you can walk in and bask in and abound in lavishly and richly his grace and his peace. Walk closely with him. Stay close. Stay close to him. I had a conversation, a great conversation with a sister this week. And, 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 and I was talking to her, but I was saying it for my own benefit. Just, just, just so much was like, look, no matter what, no matter what, you get to that time where you're in prayer and you get to that time where you're in God's word. I don't care what's going on. It doesn't matter what's going on, right? To, I mean, what's going on, of course, matters. But, but with regards to like you knowing God's peace and you experiencing God's grace, that's, look, he tells us, God is sovereign, I know that, right? But he tells us, out of that sovereignty, says to us, draw near to me, and I'll what? Has anyone ever promised you anything better than that in their life? Have you ever had anyone say to you, listen, when God says he'll draw near to us, he means draw near to us with his grace, with his peace, with his love, with his power, with his presence, with his assurance, with his comfort, and everything else that he is. He says, come in near to me and I'll come near to you. So no matter what it is, listen, you get to that time. I don't care what you think church is like. I don't care what you think people. I don't care what you think people think of you. I don't care what you think people are saying about you. I don't care what you think. Listen, every day you get to that time with God. You get to that time with God. And you draw in near to him. And you pray. And even if you can't find anything today, you know what? Even if you can't find anything to say in those moments, you just stay there before him. 
Because the word, you know what the word says? In those moments, his spirit makes intercession for us in groanings that cannot be uttered. When we can't even find what it is to say, just like that before the Lord. Listen, the spirit can interpret the groanings of your heart to the Father. Maybe I'm not expressing that right, but you understand what I mean. Just get to that time where you're before the Lord. Get that Bible open. We need Christians with open Bibles. Get that Bible open and get in there and read it and think about it and stay there. Get to this time every day and know his grace and know his peace. Now, let's talk about the special fellowship that Paul enjoined enjoyed with this church. Verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. These are some of the most wonderful words in the Bible. Every time I think of you, I thank God. That's what he says. This is no empty sentiment either because he goes on to describe it. Doesn't, before you even read any of the rest of it, doesn't just that alone say something about the fellowship that he had with this church? That he's in prison and every time, and you know, presumably in prison, he's got plenty of time to sit and think, Right? Every time he sits and he thinks about the church of Philippi, the church of Philippi, the church of Philippi, his heart is turned to pray and to say, God, thank you for those Christians of Philippi. That's what he says. And he prays for them. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you, for you all, with joy. So he not only remembered them and was thankful for them, but he had joy. Listen, there's just sometimes you think about like that group of people that loves God so much, that group of people that's just so refreshing, that group of people that's just always there for you, that group of people that just receives you and is kind to you and, and, you're, and, and you're, 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 you're kind to them and you enjoy good And just every time you think of them, it just makes you joyful in your heart. And that's not carnal. I know he's talking about people, but that's not carnal. He's, he's rejoicing. He has joy in his heart when he thinks about them. He has joy in his heart when he prays for them because he knows what God has done with them and he knows what God is still going to do with them, which he's about to say in, in the real powerful words that are the centerpiece of this verse. Right? So he says, I make every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel. And I really stopped when I got to that phrase, the fellowship and the gospel, now we get our first introduction to why. To why Paul is so in love with this church. And Paul knew a lot of churches, right? But Paul, he's an apostle, and, he, and he's over, you might say, a lot of different churches in that sort of fatherly kind of sense. And he just really loves this church. And now you can see why. Why is he so happy every time he remembers them? Why is he prompted to pray and thank God for them? Why is he making requests for them? All the, Listen, why? Because of their fellowship in the gospel. Think of the beauty of that phrase. Fellowship. You know what fellowship means, right? It means to share. In other words, Paul recognized that this church shared with him in the ministry of the gospel and everything that that is. What is the ministry of the gospel? Well, The ministry of the gospel starts with our own faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're believers on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then as we grow in the Lord, in the power of his Holy Spirit, we begin to go out and share the gospel with other people and invite them to to the kingdom, so to speak, by sharing the Lord's own words, the Lord's own invitation to come to him, to repent, to believe, 
to receive salvation. And when they come in, you begin to teach them the word of God. That they might grow in their own faith and hopefully turn around and do it. And, and the church just, the, you know, the kingdom just grows like a mustard seed in that way, you know. And, and, and that's the, the ministry of the gospel. And along the way, what is there? There's, there's persecutions. There's mocking. There's, there's constant rejection. You know, there, there, are, there are quarrels and, and there are things and there are divisions that come up. There are times where, where there's great happiness and great highs and you, you, you get the, every now and then you get to baptize a new believer or, or you get to, to meet someone new in the faith and you can just watch and see their progress and see how they're growing. And then other times you're just sharing the word and it seems like nobody's listening and nobody cares. And, and so there's, there's, there's all of this going on. And what Paul is rejoicing in is that everything that is the ministry of the gospel, they're sharing in with it. They're sharing with it in together. And what does that give him? Strength and joy and strength and power and the ability to persevere. This is what God designed sharing for. Fellowship, the word basically means to share. And Paul says, you know, you're sharing in the ministry of the gospel with me. And by sharing in the ministry of the gospel together, there's strength to carry on. There's encouragement to carry on. There's mutually sharing in the joys. There's mutually bearing the hardships. Do you follow all this? It's the fellowship. Look at those three words. In the gospel. Real healthy fellowship. Healthy, true Christian spiritual fellowship has at its core, the ministry of the gospel. The gospel. The gospel. What's our church about? It ought to be about the gospel. What are the events that we schedule and plan and work for here about? They ought to be about the gospel. What are our friendships about? I'm even going to go there. They ought to be about the gospel. What, what does the way I live and carry out my life in this world my, my purpose, my existence, what ought it to be about? It ought to be about the gospel. For every Christian, college students, high school students, grandparents, children, middle-aged guys like me. What, what ought our existence be about? It ought to be about the gospel. Church ought to be about the gospel. Fellowship ought to be about the gospel. Paul rejoices and prays because they share in the gospel with him. You know when a church is vulnerable to attacks from the enemy is when the church gets off its focus on the gospel. This is why a church exists. To preach the gospel, to baptize those who believe, and to make disciples of them by teaching them to observe. This is the Great Commission, no? And what does Jesus promise? He says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, as you're doing that. So Christ promises his own fellowship. Paul talks about his fellowship with the church. Christ promises his own fellowship when the church commits to making disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe whatsoever things he has commanded us, promises, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Sometimes, brethren, in, in, all, in all candor, if that's the right word, in my own life, and I even feel like in our church's life, and even in, even in a broader sense, even, the American church's life, though far be it for me to be so broad, if you'll bear with it just for a moment, I think what happens and why we find ourselves battling and struggling as much as we do is we forget that our purpose and our cause is the gospel. I want, I want what influence I may have. I want what, what time and what energy and what resource personally I may have to be spent on the gospel. 
And when I say the gospel, I don't just mean going and witnessing to people, but that's at the heart of it. That's at the base of it. That's at the root of it. But the, but the whole work of the gospel takes the word of Christ and shares it with people. When a person believes, you bring them in and you begin to teach them the word of God that they might grow and then themselves be encouraged to go out and do the same. When we run into trouble, it's because our eyes are off that and on other things. So what do we do? Get new glasses. Really. I mean, really. Really. Get yourself some gospel glasses and start looking at the world right. That's why we're here. Jesus said it before he left. He said he, said he was going to leave. He said, but, but you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're going to what? You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to go and tell people what you saw. You're going to go and tell people what you heard. You're going to go tell people what you experienced. You're going to go and tell people what you know about me and about what God has done for the world through me. When you receive power, that's what you're going to do. You're going to start here in Jerusalem, and you're going to go throughout all Judea and Samaria, and you're going to go to the utmost parts of the earth, and you're going to continue doing it until I come back, and I will. That hasn't changed. Though we're so distantly removed from it by time, nothing, not a word about what Jesus said has changed. Every bit of it still matters. We believe, we receive the Spirit, we receive power. We receive strength, we receive power. We're called to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit means that we must be, because that's put on us. He, he, he comes into us and He indwells us and He regenerates us and He seals us and we're filled, you know, we're, we're, that initial time when we first believe. You receive the Holy Spirit. But then in an ongoing basis, the Christian is commanded to be filled, which starts with getting the, the, getting the, uh, the thing. Don't be drunk with wine, right? Get, get, all of the, get all of the distractions and all of the things that can so easily like fill up our hearts and our minds with stuff. It doesn't matter. Get it out of our lives and be filled with the Spirit. And it's those sweet and precious times alone with God and those sweet and precious times of spiritual fellowship with other believers that bring that about, being filled with the Spirit. It's not, being filled with the Spirit is not some mystical thing where like God like zaps us or something like that, you know, and it gets, it gets put that way. I think being filled with the Spirit is something that's put on us because being filled with the Spirit in a lot of ways happens in response to the things that we do. It's God. God is powerful. God is sovereign. I know I'll know all that. But why does a sovereign and powerful God who does everything tell us to do things? Because God responds when we do things. And when we devote ourselves to prayer, when we devote ourselves to his word, when we devote ourselves to the gospel, when we devote ourselves to the right things, and at the same time, get the distractions and the things gone from our lives that the Bible on every other page seems to tell us to do, then we're filled, consumed by his spirit. And then we walk closely. And then, and then we can have the right kind of fellowship with each other. The fellowship in the gospel. Look at this. Verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Consistency. Consistency. You know, you can read in Acts 16, I told you before about the first day. The first day was with Lydia down by the river. And she's not even mentioned in this letter. But that was the first day. But from then, through all the persecutions and through everything, from then until now. In other words, when Paul left Philippi, when he left Philippi and started traveling to other Macedonian cities and, and made his way into Greece and, and, uh, and then eventually uh, back into to, to Western Asia Minor and made his way by ship back to Judea and went through all the things in Jerusalem that he went through there and then onto the ship and then the shipwreck on Malta and then grabbed from there and taken onto the Italian mainland and then marched up to Rome through the whole time, from the beginning, from that first time by the river with Lydia, all the way through all of that, this church was with him. Yes, they received the gospel, they received salvation, they had the joy of it, they had the hope of it, they had the pleasure of it, they had the assurances of it, and it consumed their lives. And so when Paul needed them, they were there. And they shared in the gospel in that particular way. 
from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing. So, so Paul says, basically, Paul starts off by saying, you've been with me from the beginning, and guess what? God's going to be with you until the end. That's what he's saying. He just, just like you've been with me in this fellowship of the gospel from the very beginning, I may not be there with you now, but God is going to see you through all the way to the end. I'm confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What's the day of Jesus Christ? That's the day that he returns. You know, when he ascended back to heaven and he got to heaven, then the two angels were standing there and they said, just like you see him go, you're going to see him come back. That's the day of the Lord. That's the day of Jesus Christ. When the Lord comes back and he's going to establish his kingdom and he's going to rule and he's going to reign right here on the earth. I don't know what all that's going to look like, but I know this. The Lord Jesus is coming back. And I also know this. I know that just as these Christians at Philippi were faithful to the gospel ministry that they shared with the Apostle Paul all the way from the beginning until where he was at now, God was going to be faithful to them and was going to see them through what he started off with them all the way until that time that Jesus comes back. Now, here's what's cool. How many of you know anybody who goes to the church at Philippi today? Good, because you don't, because that church isn't there anymore. In fact, that region of the world in Macedonia is not exactly known as an evangelical hotbed. So when Paul says this, certainly it had immediate relevance to the Philippian Christians who read it, but who obviously is this intended for? Us. It's, yeah, when he says to all the saints and he talks about sharing in the world. Listen, you can share, you can have fellowship in a way with the Apostle Paul now, even though he's not here anymore, by continuing the work that he was working in 2,000 years ago, by going and sharing the gospel with people and inviting people to Christ and being a, a, being a cog in the healthy wheel of fellowship, spiritual, praying, bearing with one another, loving one another, doing it all for the Lord, giving it all up for the gospel, right? That's, that's, that's what he's talking about. I read this and I realize, I realize that this church of Philippi, I realize that the day of Jesus Christ hasn't come yet, and yet the church of Philippi is not there anymore. Oh, there's still Christians in Philippi. Macedonia. But I read it then and I realize this is for the comforting of all of us. So I can read that and I can say, I can say, if I remain faithful to the ministry of the gospel and the fellowship of the gospel, if I remain faithful, I can with absolute confidence be assured of the fact that the Lord is going to see me through all the way to the end. Now, let's go back to where we started. Let's talk about Jonah for a minute. Because that's Jonah's the one who I blame for all of this. Because he's the one that got me thinking about all this stuff. So, so now listen. Jonah, you could say, wasn't, had a season where he wasn't really faithful, right? I mean, Jonah disobeyed God. God told Jonah to do something, and Jonah didn't do it. Jonah, in fact, if you read the word carefully in the book of Jonah, it doesn't just say that he ran from Nineveh or ran from the Ninevites. It says he ran from God. It says Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. God told Jonah to do this thing, and Jonah ran from God, as if you could run from God, which, of course, you can't. But God could have done a number of things. God could have just said, oh well, and dealt with Jonah later and called somebody else. There's always another prophet, right? God could have judged Jonah and allowed him to die in the sea when he experienced the shipwreck. Sorry for you who are here on Thursday night. I know you heard most of this already. But, but God didn't do that. God was faithful to see through to the end 
the servant that he had chosen and called. And you know what? We all have times, seasons, maybe long seasons in our life where we just are a little like Jonah and we don't quite see why God is doing such and such and maybe we get a little discouraged, we get a little off, we get a little distracted. Well, I just want to know, I just want you to know that even there, even there, if you're God's child, God is faithful. God is faithful. And you may be thinking to yourself, if you're having a season like that now where you feel like you've been distant from the Lord, you've been away from the Lord, and you start to think, well, I'm just defeated and I can't get back. I can't possibly get back. Listen, nonsense, nonsense. Humble yourself in the presence of a faithful and gracious and loving and peace-giving and, 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 and just kind heavenly Father and return to Him. Humble yourself. If there's sin, Repent, confess your sin, forsake your sin, and just come back to the Lord. And begin anew, afresh, walking with him. Get involved with the ministry of the gospel. Get involved with the fellowship of the saints. Step out of where you are and step back to where you belong. Listen, God's probably not going to send a fish to swallow you up and spit you back out where you need to be. Probably not. But you know what he's going to do? He's going to put a preacher out in front of you on a Sunday morning. No jokes about me being as big as a big fat fish or anything like that. (laughs) But listen, he's going to put a preacher out in front of you on Sunday morning who's going to say, come back. Come back to him. He is faithful to complete the good work that he's begun in you unto the day of Jesus Christ. Come back. Come back, forsake sin, humble yourself, come to the Lord, get back into the word, get back into prayer, get back into fellowship. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're here all the time and yet this describes you. I feel a little bit sometimes like that describes me. I'm here. I'm here all the time. I'm reading the Bible all the time. And and I'm I'm, I'm preaching to people all the time. And yet still in my heart, I feel sometimes like I just get a little adrift. I get a little distant. The word's the same. Come back. Don't. Listen. The Bible is replete with admonishments to seek the Lord daily. To die daily. To pray without ceasing. My voice in the morning you will hear, O Lord, and I will direct my prayer unto you and I will look up. Psalm 5. Right? Just just get back there. Get back there. Come back. God says, come back to me. Humble yourself and come back to me. Get back in my word. Get back in prayer. I began a good work in you and I'm going to see it through like I did with Jonah like I've done with countless other saints and bishops and deacons down through the ages. Just come back. Paul says in verse 7, continuing the thought, just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because, look at these words, because I have you in my heart. That's how close and good the fellowship was. That's that's what fellowship around the right things will do. See, our problem is sometimes we make our fellowship about the things that interest us. And we turn purely carnal endeavors into fellowship. But when the fellowship is about the gospel, which is what Paul says here, I praise you for your fellowship and the gospel, which has continued from the first day until now. When we make our fellowship about the gospel and we're all together committed to the gospel and we're all together committed to seeing Christ preached and longing for people to be saved and longing for people to grow, you know what it does inside the hearts of the people? It just knits them together. It ties them together and it binds them together so Paul could say, it's right for me to think this of you because I have you in my heart. And that's the kind of sentiment we would say today and people would think it's schmaltzy or 
people would think it's all, oh, you know, it's just, it's just bland sentimentalism. There's no depth to it. Hey, man, this is the Apostle Paul, and he's in prison, right? And he's even still preaching the gospel of people while he's in prison. And this church has supported him and stuck by him the whole time. And when he says, I have you in my heart, that's no small thing. That's the real deal right there. But it's because their fellowship was around the right thing from the beginning, which was their mutual interest to see Jesus Christ glorified through the ministry of the gospel. This is a healthy fellowship. There's more to say, but I'm done. That's it. Maybe I'll go through the rest of the passage next week. I'm not sure. But that's a good place to stop. Because I just feel like that's, that's the essence of what this verse is about. The essence of what this verse is about. This God completing the good work that he's begun in us unto the day. Listen, listen, listen. Listen. Completing the good work that he's begun unto the day of Jesus Christ. It's about that good work. That good work is that he began to use them in the ministry of the gospel to fulfill his purposes, right? So let's look at ourselves and make sure together that that's what we're about. I just feel, brothers and sisters, like sometimes there's a tearing. There's a struggle. And there's a tearing apart of fellowship and relationships and brotherhood and sisterhood and love. The fabric of what Christian fellowship is. And I feel like sometimes maybe that tearing is there because the fellowship isn't in the foundation about what it's supposed to be about. Until the day of Jesus Christ, we need to be committed together to the ministry of his gospel. And, 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 and listen, even if all we did was got together on Sunday mornings and worshiped and prayed, listen, every one of us should be like reaching out to people, inviting people to come in, praying for one another, bearing with one another, loving one another, praying, 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 encouraging each other in the word of God, growing spiritually, watching the character of a Christian grow and mature and, and blossom. You know, this passage ended with with him praying for them and praying that they would be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Filled with the fruits of righteousness. That is, the fruit of doing right ought to be just spilling out of every one of our lives because we're walking closely with God through faith in Jesus Christ and our fellowship is about the right thing. The gospel. The gospel. And this is what healthy fellowship is looks like and I want to be part of it and I want to be in it and I want to be in it with you let's sing the last hymn stand up together